0: No matter how much I slept, I was still tired. I was starting to get pale. And then I was starting to get this pain in my back. And I had just thought it was um, pain from, you know, lacrosse or wrestling. I got hurt or something, broken rib. But then one night it was just an unbearable pain that woke me up in the middle of the night. Like, I was, my room was in the basement at the time. I remember just screaming in pain but no one could hear me because I was in the basement. and. And then I finally got enough strength to I crawl upstairs and got my mom. I mean, obviously, she was freaking out because we thought I had a broken rib, so she brought me to the ER. And then that's when they took my blood, my blood test again, and, you know, it came up and they saw cancer cells, and it was the same ALL cancer 12 years later, which, after five years, they labeled you as cured. So this... Definitely was surprising when the oncologist saw that my cancer, the same cancer, was back.
1: And like, I think that was the hardest thing for me was like, just when things felt normal. Like it was gone. And like I said, like you get thrown into this like whole spiral. I knew that stuff too, but I was just so mad. And like, I was so angry and I'm so tired of like all of this stuff.
2: Welcome to the Better Questions podcast. Through our discussion, we want to find better questions that are more helpful to our faith, that call us into action, and that bring unity to the church. On today's episode, we're asking the question, why do bad things happen? And what you just heard were my friends Joey and Kaylee talking about their first encounters with cancer and how they've wrestled with this question their whole lives.
3: Before we get into the main topic this week, I wanted to take just a second to say thank you so much for listening and to give you a little context into this podcast. This is our first official episode, and man, we're excited to be having these conversations and sharing them with you. This podcast is something that has been in our minds and hearts for a really long time, and we believe that now is a great time to launch it into existence. See, we believe questions are an important part of every faith journey. So often in church, we either flat out ignore certain questions, or we allow our answers to those questions to become lines in the sand that separate the chosen from the heretics. In a time when our country and our faith seem more polarized than ever, we wanted to see if we could reframe the conversation and help us all find better questions that, like Andrew said, can bring unity to the church and really to humanity as a whole. In each episode, we will take a common question from life or from faith And look at the many ways that question is being answered by people all over the world or has been answered historically. And we will try to be fair to each point of view and opinion in an effort to understand each other and not to judge anyone's take on an issue. But ultimately, by the end of each episode, we will explore why each question is just not that helpful or maybe is too polarizing. And we will try to articulate a better question. This inaugural episode is actually a two part episode. From time to time, we will bring guests on the show to either sit in on the discussion and lend their expertise, or, like in the case of this episode, so that they can share their stories, allowing their personal experiences to help shape the conversation. And so now, here is our interview with Kaylee and Joey. Okay,
0: so um, I was born in 93. September of 93, and when my symptoms first started to look like I was getting sick, you know, I, it was around September of 96, so I was three years old, and both my parents and other family members who who are really close to me were ta- have talked told me about, you know, Joey looks like he's getting sick, I had flu-like symptoms, I was starting to become pale, having trouble walking up and down the stairs, you know. Um, getting very sick, high fevers. So they finally took me into the ER at Cardinal Glennon Children's Hospital in St. Louis. And um, they did my blood counts and they were completely off the charts, really bad. So the doctor referred me to an oncologist. And instantly my parents knew, you know, oncologist is not a good referral to get so the oncologist got me. They did a bone marrow biopsy. And what that is is they just take a needle, they go into your hip bone, and they actually, I call it an aspiration, actually. So then they aspirate and pull out some of your bone marrow, and they test that. And it came up positive for acute lymphoblastic leukemia, and everyone calls it ALL. And so at three years old in October of 96, I was diagnosed with, with ALL leukemia for the first time. And right off the bat, they told my parents, you know, I mean, this cancer we've had, we've had, compared to to other cancers, we've had very good success with treating and quote-unquote curing this cancer around 70 to 80% at the time in 96. So it was pretty optimistic for my parents at the time. But the the treatment was three years long. So three years of chemotherapy, spinal taps, um, bone marrow aspirations, three years of all this. Um, So lots of puking, lots of being sick, lots of being in and out of the hospital for three years. A lot of emotions, a lot of the meds make very emotional, uh, very hormonal, and you can imagine being a three-year-old and having to deal with that on top of being one of six kids, too. There was a, quite a big load From my family So I, I was only three years old When I first got cancer So I don't have a lot of um, Vivid memories But I just remember More emotional aspects of it Like I'd walk into the hospital And then for some reason My heart rate would go up Or like a doctor would come close to me And I would get a little anxious You know, stuff like that And then I was really scared At the time Um Angry you know, jealous that I was in the hospital and my other friends were at school even though prior to that I didn't even like going to school so for three years they treated my cancer and in October of 99 I was um, labeled in remission and went into remission for many years and my doctors told me, you know, I was cured and that I wouldn't have to deal with this again um and I was in remission for about 12 years
1: so my older sister her name was Taylor she was born with cancer she had a tumor in her arm her cancer was called hemangioparasitoma um a super super rare cancer so when she was born they had no clue she even had a tumor it was never detected on any sort of test through my mom's pregnancy so it was a humongous shock um babies and kids don't normally get this type of cancer so they had no clue what to do treatment wise they just kind of guessed um so she was on treatment for a few years as a baby and then I was born after she was already done with treatment and so we lived a pretty normal life most of my childhood um she ended up relapsing when I was eight years old she was 10 she like I said, the tumor was in her arm, so she had started feeling something again in her armpit. And my parents took her to the doctor and we went to Cardinal Lennon and they said her cancer was back, the tumor was back. Um, so she immediately started treatment and it was chemotherapy and they did surgery to remove the tumor and had to remove, you know, just it's a soft tissue cancer, so had to remove the tissue around in her arm and she was on treatment and she would go in and out of being cancer free and having cancer again and thinking that everything was under control and that they had finally gotten it this time and it would it was just super aggressive and they could never really you know get it fully away and so they ended up amputating her arm. And they obviously had hoped, okay, we've, we've taken away the source of where these tumors are and where the cancer is coming from, so hopefully she can live this life free of cancer. And she had a lot of physical disabilities, and she also had mental disabilities. So, you know, just this life with her family and still hopefully living a long life. And then her cancer metastasized to her lungs, which means, you know, it moved from her arm, even though it was gone, to her lungs and started growing in her lungs. And she, they would, same thing, do surgery, remove some of the tumor, have some chemotherapy. They started doing radiation um, in hopes that that would get rid of the cancer. You know, you can only remove so much of somebody's lung until the quality of their life just is no longer. And so when she was 16 years old. It was January of 2008. She ended up passing away and she had lost her battle with cancer.
2: Did Taylor ever express her thoughts about what was happening to her or did she ever explain how she was dealing with it? What what comforted her?
1: Um, I think for most of her life, she never really understood what was going on. I think she didn't really know the difference because just with her treatment and stuff like that was just her life like she didn't really realize that she was different and honestly it it was not too long before she passed away that she started noticing that she was different and you know like i said she only had one arm so she would notice that people stared at her and she was bald because she was on treatment and so she finally got to a point where she would just be like why do people look at me like like that you know and then when she was really really sick Right before she passed, like, she would ask my dad, like, why does my whole body hurt? Like, why do I have to be this way? Why am I in so much pain? Like, and I mean, how do you answer that for your child, you know?
2: What sorts of things were said to you or your family by church members that were comforting or helpful? And what were some things that were not helpful or maybe some things said that were misguided?
1: Um, we always got a lot of everything happens for a reason God won't give you more than you can handle. Um, You know, the cliche quotes and stuff you hear from people. Um, I think, because I I was 14 when my sister passed away, and like you said, I grew up in the church, so I never really knew any different. So I just had a faith based off of what my parents had taught me, which was amazing, but mostly relied on them for, like, stuff like that. So thinking back to back then... Like, I think I just heard it so much that I was just like, yeah, you're right. Like, God would never give me anything I can't handle. Like, why would he do that? You know, everything does happen for a reason. So, like, this is just what's supposed to happen. And, like, now when I think about it, those quotes almost, like, make me cringe because that's the first thing you hear when something bad is happening. And um, I know that people think it is comforting, but to me, I feel like it's, really not like do I know that God always has a plan 100% and I've seen that now that I'm older and that no matter how bad it is at least in my experience like God has been glorified in some way and no matter how bad and like how hard things are in the moment like I just have to know that there's a light at the end of the tunnel and that like I have to trust that he's gonna show his way at some point you know And um, just, I mean, that everything happens for a reason. I I mean, obviously, things happen for reasons, but I think that when people say that, it's kind of like not even that they're saying it in, like, a faith-filled way. Just like, oh, it's happening for a reason, so, like, you'll figure it out kind of thing. And those just don't really give me, like, a whole bunch of comfort, I guess. But we did grow up in the church and so we did have a lot of family and friends to rely on and i always felt love from our church family and you know when taylor would be sick they had a, a meal train ready for us and my parents said it too they're like time that we didn't have to spend making a meal was time we got to spend as a family and we had our friends that we would spend so much time with when taylor was sick and in the hospital and i mean When your sibling is that sick and your parents are gone, it really puts a divide in the family. And we always had our church family to fall back on, and it really gave us, like, more time to be together. And when she was feeling okay, and even right before she passed, like, the time we had at home with her being off treatment, not that she felt well, but, like, it was the first time in how long she wasn't, like, on chemotherapy or getting radiation. So... Not that I can remember specific things that were, like, super helpful, but those are just a few things that we had.
0: You know, I was really um, into athletics in high school, so lacrosse, wrestling, and I was, like, slowly, I was going on runs, not being able to do a few miles, going down. Like, maybe I could only run one mile, and that was, like, really hard for me. And then I went down to like, I could go up and down the block a few times and that was getting hard for me. And then no matter how much I slept, I was still tired. I was starting to get pale. And then I was starting to get this pain in my back and I had just thought it was um, pain from, you know, lacrosse or wrestling. I got hurt or something, broken rib. But then one night it was just an unbearable pain that woke me up in the middle of the night. like, I was My room was in the basement at the time. I remember just screaming and pain. but no one could hear me because I was in the basement. And and then I finally got up enough strength that I crawl upstairs and got my mom. I mean, obviously, she was freaking out because we thought I had a broken ribs, so she brought me to the ER. And then that's when they took my blood, my blood test again. And they were off the charts just like they were when I was three. And they called my oncologist to get a referral, and at the time, they weren't positive, but they basically had told me and my mom that my cancer, they pretty much thought my cancer was back, and almost a guarantee. But they did a bone marrow biopsy again, and they aspirated the bone marrow again, and you know, it came up, and they saw cancer cells, and it was the same ALL cancer 12 years later, which after five years, they label you as cured. So this definitely was surprising when the oncologist saw that my cancer, the same cancer was back. Most likely, if if you get a relapse in cancer, it's gonna be a different type of cancer from the chemotherapy that you had received prior. So the fact that this cancer survived three years of chemotherapy and then came back after 12 years being a remission, was not a very good sign. It meant that this was a very aggressive type of cancer that wasn't responding to regular forms of chemotherapy. So, instantly they put me on a high, high-risk protocol, and that meant two and a half years of more chemotherapy than before, much more intense, much more concentrated, which meant a lot more signs and symptoms, a lot more risk, and a lot more sickness, and a lot more in the hospital.
2: At that time, did you have a relationship with God? And if so, what were the sorts of things people said to you?
0: It was more so, um, you know, you went to church every week because you're supposed to. And when I'd be at church, you know, it was just like, okay, let's get through this hour so that I can make my dues, you know, with Jesus this week. And... Let's do all the rituals. Let's do the traditions. Let's do let's do the sacraments. You know, and I had went to a Catholic private school growing up in grade school, so it was more so we didn't really necessarily talk about God outside of school because I guess it was just kind of assumed that my school did a good enough job, you know, of teaching us about the Bible, teaching us about the Catholic ways or whatnot. And I'm really not trying I'm not trying to bash Catholicism at all because I mean I think it's great that they're teaching people about Jesus and stuff, but I just think it didn't work for me personally. And um I felt like more repetition and going through the motion without actually thinking why or feeling that raw emotion, you know, or energy of the Holy Spirit. So you know, when we um when I got diagnosed, we kinda just called pastoral care, you know, called the la- called the priest and he came and um you know said in our father uh, and uh, blessed me with holy water did the anointing of the sick which is a really cool um I actually do think it's a, a very cool ritual to have the priest come and give you an anointing of the sick pray over you and everything um we didn't really I feel like my parents didn't at the time really didn't talk about god being involved in this situation at the time like we just didn't really talk about god outside of church or outside of my school so it was like you know they called the priest over to do his job and then once the priest left you know we stopped talking about god because uh, i don't know that's just how we grew up so Did
2: you have any understanding of why this was happening to you? Or were any explanations given to you as for why this was happening? If not, what got you through it?
0: Um, Well, honestly, at the time, since we really weren't relying on God or Jesus, you know, um, just my friends coming up and family coming up is what I was relying on. And, you know, I mean, people can't stay up at the hospital forever. So it's like I get distracted for you know an hour or two and then go right back into my own thoughts of why me this is not you know this isn't fair um sad anger like I had honestly at the time I really didn't have a way of dealing it because it really wasn't until a few months after my relapse that I started um I met you know a Christian woman and started dating and she's really the one that changed up the game for me in a way that made me start thinking about God who's, you know, constantly there rather than just, rather than just, um, you know, we'll talk about God when the priest is around.
3: I think this question, um, has a lot of different iterations Like, why do bad things happen to good people? Or why do good things happen to bad people? And uh, it just shows that I think everyone at some point in their life struggles with a question like this, which is, you know, I'm trying to live my life the best way I know how, and yet it seems like these awful things just keep happening. Or I see so much injustice in the world, and they're able to just live... Uh, a seemingly happy life with no problems, even though they're awful people. And yet I'm trying to live a great life and all these awful things are happening. And why is life so unfair like that? And I just think it's natural for everyone to struggle with this question.
4: Right. Yeah. We have like this deep desire as humans to know why for anything. And especially this one, because it's like, if I can know the answer, why then maybe I could do something to avoid it happening anymore.
2: Yeah. And I think for this episode, we wanted to keep the question generic. Why do bad things happen? Because we're talking about a a litany of different things, you know, evil, pain, suffering, diseases, hunger. You know what I mean? Like this is a universal question. So I think we want to keep the question as universally generic as possible.
3: Yeah, and it's it's important to to just say here that like this question um isn't a bad question necessarily and it's you're not a bad person for asking it. Uh it's just not the most helpful question especially because it leads to those contrite cliché answers which aren't the most helpful answers either. Um in fact, uh, another person that I know who lost their husband told me that eventually she just had to get to the point where she could just not hold it against people if they told her something not helpful Mm -hmm. or if something they said actually hurt her because a lot of times when dealing with a friend or loved one who's going through loss or pain we just don't know what to say right and what do you what do you do when you don't know what to say you well I make a fool out of myself with my words uh, and end mm-hmm. up saying things I don't mean, or just falling back to things I've heard over and over. Like, God will never give you more than you can handle. Oh, really? Because right now, I don't know that I'm handling it all that well. Right. Yeah, yeah, and
4: man, that, that's something that's hard, because people say, I'm guilty of it, to say things that they think they're helping, but they're not actually considering the implications Of that, of like, well, you know, it's just all part of God's plan. Like, really? Like, God's plan was that I would get cancer as a young child or that my little sister would die or, like, that... I mean, those are some pretty serious implications to make when you're trying to help.
2: Yeah, and that's why I wanted to address this question early in the podcast, was I feel like if we can work out what's wrong with this question. Again, like Dan said, it's not a bad question and I think it's essential that everyone at some point in their life ask it. But you have to you have to get to a point in your life where you learn what can be answered and what can't and then start focusing on okay, what can I do? What is helpful? What can I actually accomplish? And I think if we keep letting this question go around in church communities with this assumption that there's like this easy answer we're just going to propagate this cycle of ask the question easy answer that actually ends up causing more harm than good and i think if we can find a better question a more helpful question we can start leading to more faith discussions that won't unintentionally hurt people who are who are in pain
4: yeah and i, I think with this You know, people give answers to the question, like you said, that they think are just this simple, easy answer. Yeah, this is why it happens. But even the Bible itself doesn't give one consensus on the answer to this question. There's all kinds of answers the Bible itself gives uh, as to reasons behind suffering.
3: Yeah. So in every episode in our podcast, we take some time to look at what are some ways that this question is being answered. And uh, I just want to throw out some ways that we can even see in the Bible of how the Bible answers it and actually answers it differently depending on what scripture you're looking at. Uh, Some of the views I found just looking through were, one, that God makes everything happen. Like he has his reasons. We don't question him, but He's sovereign and he just makes it all happen. And some scriptures that support that would be Ecclesiastes 3 1 through 11, Isaiah 55 9, and Psalm 135 5. A second view would be well, God makes bad things happen to us to test our faith and to grow us. So there's a reason behind it. 2 Corinthians 1 3 through 7 seems like that. James 1 3, Romans 8 28, and even the beginning of the book of Job. Uh, you see the story of God allowing Satan to test Job and these the awful things that happened to him. A third would be that bad things happen as a result of God's judgment on the earth. So because of sin, uh, God has to, to cleanse it somehow through judgment. Galatians 6, 7, and 8 make it seem like that. I mean, the story of Noah and uh, the flood, exile of Israel, uh, the temple's destruction in 70 A.D., Um, just over and over, you can see examples of that in the scripture. Another one, a fourth one would be because we live in a fallen world and it's just as simple as that. And Romans eight, 18, through 22 makes it seem like that. And then, um, a last view way, this question has been answered, um, is more of a, a theist view is that God is more distant. He made everything, but now he just lets everything take its natural course. He doesn't make it happen with his sovereign will, but he also doesn't really do anything to stop it. And uh, it's just interesting to see all of those views uh, people hold as trying to answer the why of this question. And it's interesting to see that even the Bible backs up several of them at the same time. Yeah,
2: and I think the problem we run into is the Bible does talk about a lot of different ways... Um, suffer it addresses suffering and pain in a lot of different ways. And I think when we just flip to a, a verse or a chapter and we go, okay, well, this is the answer about why bad things happen. In general, we're doing ourselves a disservice because most of the time these verses are in direct response to a specific story or a specific topic or a specific time in history, like the exile, the exodus. And we run into a lot of trouble when we just take one part of the story and make it applicable to all parts of all people's
4: stories. Right. Yeah, and I I think it's important to say part of the reason Dan says what he says of here's a bunch of different answers the Bible gives is not to critique the Bible to say, "Well, see, here's all these contradictions." It's really to critique people who say, "Well, Something bad is happening to you? Well, here's the answer. And it's like, well, the Bible doesn't even say there's just one answer that's always the case every time. If even the Bible is saying, here's all kinds of different reasons. And even in some of those stories, the character in the story experiencing the suffering doesn't even know the reason why. Then how can we be so... Prideful to say, well, every time something bad happens, I know exactly why.
2: Right, and spoiler alert: uh, we don't have the answer. I don't want to lead anyone on and think that we have this golden insight that we're going to reveal at the end of the podcast. We, I mean, the reason we're doing this is because we don't know when we want to. We want to talk it out. But I remember even recently, I was listening to a an author I read, uh, David Bentley Hart. He's a theologian, super smart guy. And some someone interviewing asked him, hey, what, what is the question that is the hardest for the Christian faith to answer? And this is like a super smart dude, like just brilliant. And he just goes, it's the, you know, the the question that really cuts to the core, to the heart of the Christian faith is why, why does God allow evil, suffering, pain? He's like, he's like most questions that are criticism of the Christian faith, I think there's always an approach, there's always a way, there's a well of knowledge to answer this. But he said for that one, you have to respect that question. And you have to respect the fact that this is something you can't just flippantly answer. And that was kind of like eye-opening to me. Like, I think we do disrespect that question when someone outside of the faith or someone within the faith asks that question, we go, oh, you know, it's just this.
3: Right, and actually, like, that question... Is a huge reason why many people out there are atheists. Right. You know, there's that old atheist argument that, well, either God is not all-powerful or he's not all-loving. He can't be both at the same time because if he was both, then there wouldn't be evil or suffering or pain. Because if he was all-powerful and all-loving, wouldn't he obviously step in and save you in the last second? Mm Mm-hmm like we see in movies and TV. Yeah. Uh, wouldn't a loving God do that? And you're right, we have to respect that question. And you're also right that we, we don't know the answer to this question. And that's a big reason why we wanted to highlight this interview um, with these two people, because uh, I think only through sharing our own experiences with pain and suffering with each other can we, one, have empathy with each other, we can get to know one another, we can bear each other's burdens in a different way, but also we can just learn from the experiences of others of what to do and what not to do, both Mm -hmm. when we experience pain and when people we care about around us experience pain.
2: I heard a great preacher once say, the greatest sermon you can ever preach is me too.
3: I love that.
4: And one of the things that Kaylee said in her interview that I thought was so interesting to me, because I've never heard someone say it like that before, but it made so much sense. She said that one of the biggest struggles with these kind of canned answers Christians give so much is that it felt like they were saying, you're on your own. Like, well, you know... Everything happens for a reason, so go figure out what that reason is. Have fun. And maybe that's part of it, of we give all of these simple answers so that we don't have to actually do that. We don't have to immerse ourselves in your story, in your pain, and wade through the messiness together. We just can make it a very compartmentalized, cut-and-dry thing, but then that causes people to experience the struggle of suffering on their
3: own. Yeah, even in the interview, she says, literally, what helped was falling back on her church family, their love, their support, the time they visit the hospital, when they started a meal train. Those are the things that helped. It was what they did and not what they said.
1: time with ALL.
0: Oh, you didn't want to tell you how we met? I'm going to. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we started dating with his second time with cancer. Um, we've known each other since we were 10. We met at a camp for kids with cancer and their siblings. So I was there because my sister was sick and Joey was there because he had been sick as a child. So we always grew up like knowing each other and knowing who each other was and we went through the teen program together which is when we became friends and you know we have always had each other like I don't really remember much of a time before knowing who Joey was and who his family was and you know because I got to know his siblings too at camp um so he had gotten diagnosed again August of 2011 and you know, we were friends. I would go up to the hospital and visit him. I would randomly text him and check up on him just to see how he was doing because, you know, I cared about him. And I knew that with him, him being sick again, his life was changing in big ways. And, I mean, just a, like he said, he wasn't a Christian back then, and he was going through some really hard stuff with being sick and just his family life, and he was going through so much um, that I really tried to, like, be there for him the best way I could as a friend but um, yeah so we started dating when we were 18
0: yeah about five months into my one of my most intense parts of chemotherapy that I had been in I mean I mean I was like I think I had lost about 40 pounds which was at the time a considerable amount of my weight and completely bald you know I sunken in the whole um, stereotypical cancer look it was not it was a really hard time for me when we started dating but
1: yeah we didn't when we say we started dating it's not even that we got a lot of date opportunities um, we hung out a few times like kind of made it official but most of our time in our early relationship was spent with like visitations at the hospital Um, I would get to go up and see him for a few hours and that was maybe once a week because he was just so sick that I mean most of his time was spent in the hospital and when it wasn't he was at home and he was sick so it would be the same thing me going over there for a couple of hours and us watching a movie together if he even felt well enough to sit up in bed and watch a movie kind of thing Um, we're still really getting to know each other in a way past just being friends, which is hard when the person you're with is so sick. And we lived about 35 minutes away from each other. So the medicine he was on, he couldn't drive most of the time. So it was an all over the place kind of schedule between him being sick and, you know, I was in college and working and it wasn't necessarily the fairy tale of the beginning of a relationship that you always normally, I guess, would picture for a, a normal couple. Um, but, yeah, we were dating through his treatment, and he was a senior whenever it was right for a senior year when he was diagnosed, so he spent most of his senior year at home, and he had a tutor at home, and he graduated high school on time, and, you know, I was in college, and we were dating he was still on treatment but things were getting better and he was feeling better and maybe having it got to a point where he was having more good days than bad and you know he had his last chemo and we kind of did a little celebration of it being his last time having chemotherapy because we were convinced it was like truly the last time and he started going to college and um He had decided he wanted to become a nurse, and had applied for a nursing program through Goldfarb, which is through Barnes, and, you know, it's accelerated, so it's a really fast-paced thing, and he had just started that, and we had gone on a trip.
2: You guys were talking about getting married at this time, right?
1: Yeah, we were engaged. Yeah. Yeah, so...
0: We were engaged. I was about to graduate um, about... Six months after that, and then we were going to get married right after I graduated.
1: Just celebrated him being two years post-last chemotherapy, cancer-free remission, whatever you want to call it. Um, he was in a second semester or term of nursing school. and
0: Yeah, so like Kelly had said, I was currently in nursing school and ironically in the health assessment class. And we had just been going over um, lymph nodes, and um, you know my lymph node, right um, at the bottom of my uh, the bottom of my neck, right above my your collarbone, it was swollen, and I didn't think of anything of it because I had a cold, so I was like, okay, well it's just swollen because I have cold, you know, and then it stayed swollen for several weeks, about three weeks, and then we had gone over lymph nodes and which ones swell up for what reasons and it just so happens that that specific lymph node only swells up if you have um, a lower body infection so like in your chest or abdomen or if you have cancer those were the two reasons we got why that lymph node swells up And I had no other signs and symptoms unlike the other previous two times where I was diagnosed. So, you know, I just didn't really think anything of it. I didn't freak out. I called my oncologist, told her about it. And then she came in, she looked at it, she did not like it at all. And um, so they they did more blood tests and they came up and they were bad. They were all off the charts, abnormal again. And they said, okay, well... They had sat me down and Kaylee down. Actually, they put me in a room, and then they brought Kaylee out in the hallway, and they told her, you know, we think Joey's cancer's back. And they're like, we're about to go into his room and tell him that we think his cancer's back for a third time. So um, they all came in, you know, I mean, about three nurses, two physicians, a nurse practitioner. Kaylee. Of course, Kaylee gave away with her emotional, sad face instantly, and I knew what the doctors were about to tell me. And there's only one reason why there were seven people in the room it was because my cancer was back for a third time.
3: To close out the first part of this episode, I wanted to say a huge thank you to Kaylee and Joey for being willing to share their stories with us, as well as to everyone who has helped us get this podcast off the ground. Join us next week for part two, and please consider subscribing on whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts. Subscribing will notify you each time an episode is released and help us to connect with you and to get to know who our audience is. You can also listen to new episodes, as well as comment or ask questions of your own, on our website at BetterQuestionsPodcast.com. Thanks for listening, and remember, sometimes life's answers require better questions.